1: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by Justin Graver with Broadway Sports Media. How are you doing tonight, Justin? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Matt. How are you? I'm excited. I'm very excited to talk about the Tennessee Titans and the AFC South in general because what starts here ruins the rest of the world, you know? <laughs> Hook em. and uh, this is especially true you know last season after everybody was so excited for a Chiefs Ravens AFC championship game and the times of course ruined that by taking out the Patriots dynasty with like Brian Tannehill completing eight passes I think that game and then doing the same thing to the Baltimore Ravens the following week too Uh, so they kind of ruined everything everybody wanted and I think it made for a more interesting uh, postseason and definitely like the times are probably the most interesting team this offseason too
0: yeah it's crazy i mean (laughs) i was actually rooting for the texans and the titans to play um so the chiefs kind of upended that one but yeah yeah it's pretty funny how everyone wrote off the titans and even the texans both the titans and the texans got up to pretty nice leads and could not close it out
1: (laughs) yeah i think the texans game was you know they went up 24-0 in law and i think they gave 41 straight points and lost 51 31 but They've never stopped Kansas City that game. It was like a lot of mistakes. Like Travis Kelsey dropped a first down and Robinson dropped a first down and they blocked the punt and they blocked, they dropped the field, uh, the kickoff return. And it's like all these things that occurred that set up a really perfect spot, but it never felt safe at all the entire time, you know?
0: Right. And I felt the same way when the Titans got to the Chiefs and the Titans got a little lead. They didn't really get there in as fluky a way, but I was just like, we just saw this last week. I'm not it <laughs> at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, really, because I went in Tennessee to win that game, and whenever they didn't score a touchdown in the red zone that second trip, I was like, that may be it, because we'll talk about the red zone touchdown right here in a little bit, but they have been scoring touchdowns every single time they got in the red zone, and that's their game. And whenever it didn't happen, kind of felt like the magic ran out at that point.
0: I felt, I with the people I was with, I said the exact same thing. I was like, that is not a good sign because, exactly what you said, this team has been scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And it's not just that, but against the Chiefs of all teams, uh-huh. you cannot be stopped in the red zone. You've got to get your points when you're down there. So, yeah, yeah I was very scared, scared at that moment.
1: And <laughs> it felt pretty closely after that was that Mahomes scramble where he broke four tackles scramble. right there in the half, two at the same time. It kind of felt like those things went back to back, but I'm sure there were seven minutes or so between them. Yeah, that was the backbreaking moment though. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not think about all the bad stuff from you know, last <laughs> January. There was a lot of good things that happened too and this season and we're we're operating here that there is gonna be a season and also we're recording this on July thirty first. So if we talk about Jadavion Clowney and you're very confused and you're listening to this on August fourteenth, you know, that's the reason for it. Um, but for this season, the Times like I said earlier, they're probably one of the most interesting teams this offseason because they had Ryan Tannehill entering free agency and they also had the Derek Henry question to answer. And what they chose to do was re-sign both. Tannehill signed a four year hundred eighteen million dollar extension. And the thing about Tannehill's two thousand nineteen season was it was unlike any season he's ever had before. I and mean, like he showed flashes and some really sublime throws in Miami, but there was nothing at all like this. You know, he set career highs and every rate inefficiency category out there. Um, it also occurred in his age thirty one season and typically that's the peak year for quarterback play. I know it's kind of shifted farther as league quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees have managed to hang on a lot longer and have a lot of success too. Uh, but with Ryan Tannehill, do you see 2019 as a as a sign for more things to come? Or is do you see him like possibly becoming like a case Keenum or a Nick Foles or a Brock Oswald figure figure as somebody who even Oslo didn't have that grave of a run. The Texans just completely botched that situation. But you know, Keem and Foles had really miraculous runs where they were had top five quarterback play and never uh, and then once they received their big contract, they weren't able to stick with that. So what do you think about Tannehill entering this 2020 season after the extension?
0: So I definitely think that he cannot repeat what he did last season, just in terms of like you mentioned, the rate based stats and the efficiency categories because I mean, he he led the league in completion percentage over expectation and next-gen stat that looks at every pass in league history or something and figures out if the pass should be completed. He was well, well above Drew Brees, who was second in that category. Drew Brees led that in 2018. So mm-hmm. he was above his career averages there by a considerable amount. So I just, like, those kinds of things, when um, when those passes weren't being completed, the tight window throws, I think we saw a lot more of that in Kansas City. There was... Like in the playoffs, there was an early interception that got ruled back, where uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember who the defensive back was, Breland maybe or somebody diving for an interception and taking it away from Corey Davis. It didn't, yeah, it got overturned. But those were the types of plays all throughout the season where super tight window throw, defensive back draped all over the receiver, and somehow Tannehill fits it in perfectly and they mm-hmm. catch the ball. Now, the question is, is that Tannehill having insane accuracy and timing with his receivers and his receivers having an insane ability Mm -hmm. to win contested catch situations? Maybe. Or is it a small sample size, 10 games? In 10 games, Tannehill was able to complete a lot of tight window throws that over a larger sample size start to fall incomplete mm-hmm. so i think from that standpoint from the like yards per attempt standpoint he is at 9.6 which led the league by an entire yard passer rating he was like 117 which led the league and well above his career averages there too so i don't think that he's going to be as good from a statistical standpoint next season just because that's how football works right
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that said i think he could be a better quarterback on the field you know better according to the eye test not completing like you said eight you know, eight passes in a playoff game, but, you know, actually going out there and, and leading the team. And they didn't really ever find a situation where they had to, you know, fourth quarter drive with Tannehill at the helm, because once he took over, they were pretty good. The only time that really happened was Kansas city week 10 and he mm-hmm. drove them down the field and won the game with the touchdown, to Adam Humphreys. So I think, The rest of his career averages have to be viewed through the lens of he was playing in Miami for Adam Gase, which was just a total, you know, everything about that was incompetent the way they ran that organization. The -hmm. Texans benefited, got Laramie Tunsil out of it. They traded away Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, they traded away Kenyon Drake. They traded away all their good players, and they traded away Ryan Tannehill, too. So I do think Ryan Tannehill is better than he was in Miami because Miami's just like an anchor weighing down Mm -hmm. every player that goes through there, or they were until Brian Flores took over. So, all that said, I think another year in this offense with offense coordinator Art Smith, who his first year in the offense last year, he didn't really have an offseason to work out with his players, obviously, because of COVID-19 and all that, but he was down in uh, in Florida throwing with tight end Jonu Smith and the rookie running back, Darren Evans. so he's been trying to get on the same page with those mm-hmm. guys, and I just think that he's going to show a better command of the offense, you know, everyone would will who is going into another season with the same offensive coordinator, everyone in the NFL. So that's a boon to his production that can kind of offset some of these unrepeatable stats that I don't think he'll be able to maintain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I understand what you're saying with, so like we had a question from, uh, from Twitter, from at smooth grandma. And he asked how much regression is expected for Ryan, the can Hill. And so like last year, he was a top five quarterback. So this year, are you expecting to be like a top 10 quarterback, top 15 quarterback? Uh, What would be a good season for him in 2020?
0: Yeah, I think if he's in that top 10, fringe top 10 area, top 9, top 8 kind of category, I do think that he'll be able to benefit, again, the same way he did last year from having Derrick Henry in the backfield Mm -hmm. and receivers who, I know we're going to get into this soon, but receivers who are really good at breaking tackles. And I think that those things, like... The completion percentage over expectation, the passer rating, those could be 10-game sample sizes that are not repeatable. However, being able to break a ton of tackles, I think, is a skill that a player mm-hmm. either has or doesn't have. And the guys who are at the top of that list, year in, year out, usually stay there. So I think that if the if, Titans can, if Tannehill can be in a situation where he's not relied upon to be a guy who has to go out and make big-time big throws the whole game, which I think the Titans' offense is set up so that he won't have to be that, and not necessarily a game manager in, like, the negative connotation sense that everyone interprets it to be, but more like a game manager in that he's managing the game. I think he can yeah, be successful yeah. in that role.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big differences between him and Mariota is just his ability to make those deep passes downfield. Where like if you get single, if you get man coverage on the outside, and you have an open post around the middle of field, like can you hit that guy and lead him and complete those throws? And Mariota was never able to consistently do that at all. And Tannehill, I mean, he made like 15 downfield throws that were. Uh, just like absolutely like incomprehensible sometimes. Like that one against Oakland and that one against Kansas City. Like I've watched those two throws like you know 40 times in a row while I was running a season preview because I was so amazed by that one. And that one he hit against Tennessee to Adam Humphreys was really beautiful too, where he led him, where he had the defender underneath him and just led him like two yards back behind where he was able to peel off and make that catch. And and I think I like the I, one been, against
0: Houston to AJ Brown in week 17 yeah. was the most insane throw I've ever seen in in, t- in double coverage right at the sideline.
1: <laughs> I need to go back and watch that throw. Cause I didn't watch that game all that much. Cause we had, we had locked it up. All backups, it's yeah. kind of one of those hungover games, you know, you don't really care. Uh, but I've watched it, but I don't remember anything from it at all. I need to go back and take a look at that one. Uh, but I think, but like he made throws like that in Miami though. And so that's the one thing I, I feel good about with Tannehill and Tennessee again this year is that he's made those downfield throws before. And when we kind of saw this offense last season is if, like, you can take advantage of single high safety sets and man coverage on the outside and hit on those downfield throws enough time and, you know, get seven points a game or 14 points out of it um, instead of some shorter drives, too. Like, that's really, like, kind of all you need with the offensive line they have. And Derek Henry, as long as he's able to manage the workload that he had last year, too.
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably the plan, too. You know, run the ball, get it to the playmakers in space, and then hit those deep shots off
1: play action. Mm-hmm. So one of the other bizarre things about that, cause there's so many bizarre things about Tennessee last year. Like they, they played football unlike any team has played football probably since, you know, 1997 or so and have a lot of success with it. And so they were so much better under center than compared to shotgun. They had a lot of success out of heavy personnel, especially out of 22 personnel too. they were great at running against heavy boxes. I know Derek Henry faced uh, at least eight guys in the box, like 35% of the time. And they were still really good at running the ball. It didn't matter at all. And so, like all these things that we've kind of learned about football this past decade, they were kind of antithesis to all this, and still, you know, worked really well. And had uh, they were sixth in offensive DVA last year. So, like, do you think the Titans' offense is just a major zag where this past decade defenses have spent all this time getting quicker and faster and lighter to be able to cover spread offenses, and then all of a sudden there's this team that is the exact opposite of that, and they're having to to cover and defend, you know, Johnu Smith and Henry and these big, you know, physical offensive skill players where before you know you're covering five receivers and you need four saf- three safeties out there and six defensive backs you then the Titans just felt like a good sweet spot where they they have Zig so far away from it or Zag so far away from the rest of the league that they're now operating kind of like in their own set of circumstances
0: yeah and you know we actually first started hearing of that a lot in nashville when mike malarkey took over and installed exotic mm-hmm. smash mouth offense. i love it, it i love like, malarkey <laughs> i like malarkey the guy I think he's a good football coach. I think he's not a great head coach, and I think that he made a lot of mistakes. But mm-hmm. I lo- I liked Malarkey as a person. I mean, I think he's a great guy. But yeah, when he came in and installed an exotic smash mouth, it was like, oh, this is it. The Titans are zagging where everyone else is zigging. Like exactly what you just said. And we've kind of the Titan- Tennessee's kind of been in that mold now since Malarkey was there. They installed. They got you know Taylor Lewan was was there. Signed Ben Jones, Jack Conklin, who's gone now. But built up that big mauling offensive line to run those power run game type stuff with Malarkey. And now they're in the the, the outside zone base scheme with Art Smith, who pretty much learned under Matt LaFleur, who pretty much learned under Sean mm-hmm. McVay, who pretty much learned under Gary Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan and Matt and uh, mm-hmm. Mike Shanahan. But anyway, as Texans fans would definitely know. So, uh, yeah, I think that that kind of offense, it's, I mean, it's kind of like what's going on in San Francisco, I think. You're... Well, the the biggest difference now is that the Titans aren't relying on Delaney Walker anymore. So I think A.J. Brown is kind of that guy mm-hmm. who just catches the ball and breaks a bunch of tackles and picks up a bunch of yards after catch. I mean, he led the league in yards after catch per reception. And so he's like your George Kittle. And then Derrick Henry is like your your main running back. I think the offenses are similar just because I mean, we saw what happened in the playoffs right against Green Bay. The Niners had pretty much the same game against the Packers, except they dominated them on the scoreboard that the titans had against the patriots the titans didn't dominate on the scoreboard but henry the running back ran wild the quarterback only had to complete eight passes it's just like jimmy garoppolo only had to complete what like 10 passes against green bay with raheem Mostert running for 200 something yards so i think that those two offenses i mean they come from the same same parent system like i mentioned mike shanahan um so i think that they're pretty similar in that regard and that the big bodies, of breaking tackles, I mentioned it earlier, I do think that th- that is a sustainable way to find success in the league because it's not based on, like, out-scheming your opponent. So it's not based on, like, the opponent's not going to be able to, like, study... Like, the, the Ravens, for example. The Ravens are all about out-scheming your opponent, right? And obviously, Lamar Jackson is insane at breaking tackles and making people miss in space. And even against the Titans in the playoffs, he piled up a lot of yards. But when the Titans were able to to get in there and do film study. And I talked to a couple of players on the defense this offseason mm-hmm. so far who have talked to me about how the film study and how knowing when the fullback shifted into the backfield before the snap, they knew which way the run was going to go. And those kinds of things are super important for stopping an offense. And when it comes to a team that simply breaks tackles and wins one-on-one matchups, I think it's a lot harder to stop that kind of offense. So I think that they can find success in this style of play. You know, Derek Henry, leading the NFL in next-gen stats, new stat, rushing yards over expectation. The only player in the NFL to be over a full yard over his expectation in 2018 and 2019, that tells me right there it's repeatable because he he did it two years in a row. Now, the difference is the start. The Titans started two and four with Mariota at quarterback, and the offense was one of the worst in the league. And once Tannehill took over, they became one of the best in the league. They were third in total points uh, with Tannehill as a starter. From, for those 10 weeks, they led the league in uh, explosive play rate, which is just crazy to me as a Titans fan who had been this ground and pound three <laughs> yards in a cloud of dust for my whole life. And here they are leading the league in explosive plays. So I do think that that is where they are due to regress. We're going to get into regression, I know, in a second. But one big area of regression I think Titans fans should be ready for is the offense just simply will not have such a high explosive play rate. They're not going to have all those 50, 60 yard touchdowns and plays just because those are, I mean, that's so hard to repeat, but I do think that means they'll have more total plays run because they won't have so many like three play drives where AJ Brown catches a pass for 60 yards or Derrick Henry just runs to the house. So I think they'll regress in terms of like how explosive the offense is, but how successful they are. I think they can kind of maintain the same kind of success they found last year, as long as they don't fall into the trap that we saw the 2016 Titans fall into in 2017. We saw the 20 I think 18 Jags fall into the year after they went to the yeah, championship. The Rams last year. There is a kind of a trend of a team that is really good on the ground, who finds a lot of success in the ground game and uses that to marry to their passing game. Mm-hmm. Then coming back the next year and being a lot worse. So hopefully that kind of fall off doesn't happen. I think there are a lot of other factors you can point to with those specific teams, the Titans had Terry Rubisky calling plays, and they didn't adapt their offense at all going to 2017. The Jaguars had Blake Bortles and a terrible offensive line, and I never thought Leonard Fournette was that good anyway. And the Rams lost like three starters on the offensive line. Todd Gurley's knees are broken, and Jared Goff's not that good. So I do think there are extenuating circumstances, but that's one thing I'm wary of about this offense is a run-based offense often has trouble finding success in back-to-back seasons.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think we're going to see. I mean, I'm going to pick against the 49ers to make the playoffs this year because they were very fortunate last year. And, you know, Garoppolo, I think, is a mediocre quarterback in a, in a scheme that's really like built out for them. And if they have some more injuries as well, too, and again, they lose more close games, I think things can change there. And they lost, um, they lost to Forrest Buckner on their defensive line. And. I don't know the pass rush is going to be as good too, and they're going to get a year older at the cornerback position. And, and so, they're
0: left I, tackle retired, right? What's his name? Yeah, Joe Staley retired this offseason.
1: <laughs> so they, I mean, so they have some stuff going on there that I don't think it's going to be something where they'll just have the same season. again. and also teams that lose in the, in the Super Bowl usually are bad the next year, or they usually That's have right. like a frustrating, you know, seven or eight win season too. Um, so the Titans' offense this year, I I think when things a lot of things that you mentioned are really great. And I think one of the things about those other teams you mentioned too is that they didn't have great quarterback play. And so like the only really like sustainable thing for a football team year to year is usually quarterback play. And so I do think there's a lot of things they can do this season to just make their offense better in like conjunction with everything else they do. And I think out of like spread sets, they can be a much better team. I think getting a full year of Alm Humphreys will help out a lot. I think running out of the shotgun will help a lot too, just getting Derek Henry in some lighter boxes. Having an actual second running back in Darrington Evans, we'll talk about him a little bit too, I think will make a, a big dramatic difference also. But like with Arthur Smith entering his second year as the offensive coordinator, do you think the Titans will be kind of like use some more spread principles and kind of go back to some of these things that we learned this last decade that throwing the ball is good, uh, he understands that throwing play action is really good, but throwing the ball is good. Getting more guys to the box is good as well, too. Like what, how do you think Arthur Smith is going to evolve this offense for the 2020 season? I
0: think, and you kind of mentioned this, and we may touch on him again later, but I think the biggest evolution will be, A, A.J. Brown plays the whole season, because mm-hmm. A.J. Brown was recently on Taylor Lewan's podcast, Bussing with the Boys, and he talked about how, like, because they asked him, like, what were the coaches telling you as you were, like, working in early in the season? And he was like, yeah, they told me, you know, we're going to get you a few more plays this week. We're going to work you in a little more this week. And his attitude was like, man, just throw me the ball. And (laughs) I think next year they will just throw him the ball. And towards the end of the year, they started to work him in with more screen plays and just, like, just actually, like, dedicated targets for him as opposed to, Mm -hmm. like, he happens to be open and Tannehill hits him. So I think that that's one area is, like, they spread it out to get the ball more, to get it in, in his hands more. And then Darrington Evans, I think, because Deion Lewis was such a disappointment. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had a few flashy runs where he broke the tackles that we saw him do in New England, but he was never really the same player. And I think that if he can come in and be a guy who spells Henry, not just to to get Henry off the field and on the sideline, but who can come in and play in the backfield with Henry, who can start in the backfield and go line up as a receiver, as a slot receiver, or uh, take advantage of matchups with linebackers. Something Tannehill said in his press conference, uh, the the introductory press conference to training camp,
1: when mm-hmm. they all
0: sat down, the coaches and quarterbacks and stuff. He said he's been throwing with Evans down in Florida this offseason, and he was really impressed by Evans' ability as a natural hands catcher coming out of the backfield and lining up out wide. To which I thought, hmm, does that mean Darrington Evans is going to be lining up out wide a lot this year? I sure hope so, because you know, I mean, the next step in the Titans offense is having a reliable running back that they can dump it off to, or that they can run, you know, choice routes with in space yep. and get those matchups with linebackers and safety. So I honestly don't know if he, if Arthur Smith plans to spread it out more in terms of like shotgun five wide, four wide type of stuff. But I do think getting that running back, the second running back involved more and just getting it out to playmakers quickly, kind of that kind of spread offense, which I do think is a spread offense too is where the Titans might head.
1: That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, I mean, like, if you even... I mean, it's weird, too, because they can go spread with, like, Ferkser, Evans, John Smith, Brown, and Corey Davis, and it's like, yeah, there's four wide receivers, but nobody here even plays wide receiver, you know, except for two of the guys, too.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mention that, because so they ran this play against Kansas City. It's, like, uh, pretty much just, like, a Yankee concept play action, deep deep shot to uh, Mm -hmm. Khalif Raymond running a deep post. Where where did he sign
1: with this past offseason?
0: Khalif Raymond, he's is back he still, in Tennessee. He's
1: still in Tennessee. Okay. Where did, or, and then who did Sharp sign with?
0: Sharp is in Minnesota now. Okay, gotcha. So Justin I can't remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can remember which one left and which one stayed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't remember which one left and which one stayed. But I like Raymond. He had a really great um, touchdown catch against the Ravens. Yeah, oh, that so, they ran that,
0: so they ran that play against the Chiefs with A.J. Brown running the underneath
1: oh, okay. part of
0: the Yankee. And they ran that same play against the Ravens with Anthony Ferkser running that underneath. <laughs> so they can they they I guess they're messing with defenses. They put out a heavy set like that. But Ferkser, I mean, my first thought is if Khalif Raymond and Anthony Ferkser are the top two receivers on the field, those guys are not blocking. But I guess the Ravens weren't thinking of it like that. So yeah, <laughs> those guys are pass catchers.
1: Well, it's Raymond's
0: funny.
1: like five nine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, even some of the catches they made last year too, like John Smith's one hand catch and that one Raymond made in that game, like they made some great catches last year. And these aren't guys you think of as great receivers, you know, Ferguson and Raymond and everybody yeah. on the roster made some great catches. And like last year in 22 personnel core in the football Outsiders Almanac, they only used it three percent of the time, but they had DVOA of forty eight point eight percent and they ran seventy six percent of the time out of it. And so like even when they come into these heavy source situations the end zone's never safe at all. You know, like you have no idea what Arthur Smith is going to conjure up, um, out of any formation. And like, I really enjoyed watching Arthur Smith last year. And I think like the way he became offensive coordinator goes in with that, where he's been the same organization starting as a tight ends coach. And he's learned from like seven different guys, you know? So like he learned like, you know, what not to do. um, Whenever Kevin was in was the head coach there. And he learned about yeah. the outside zone from Matt LaFleur. And he learned about Meth Mouth from, uh, from Mike Malarkey. And he learned about offensive line play um, from, man, his name's escaped me. He played for the Oilers, Mike, Mike Munchak. Lone-jack. So, like, he, he's learned yeah. from everybody. Like, he's learned every single different sort of thing. And so, it's like he's taken all these different, um, you know, flavors and created this offense that's entirely his own despite only being a first-year offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, he actually even spoke about how he's really glad that this is his second year. To, um, this was on the day of this recording at a press conference because he said he learned a lot his first year during preseason. So, I mean, I'm excited about that fact as a, from a fan standpoint that he's only in his second year and the offense was pretty good. Now, the question is, how much can he continue to adapt? Because we know defenses are going to adapt to everything mm-hmm. the Titans did last year. And that's the biggest challenge in the NFL. And Mike Vrabel says this all the time, but... It's the league is built for everyone to be eight and eight. So yeah that's the way that the Titans that's the challenge the Titans have to overcome is can they can they adapt when the defenses adjust because, you know, early in the season with no off season work, defenses may be ready for them at least the first month
1: or so hmm I think the whole AFC South this year is built to a nine seven too as well. And we'll get <laughs> to that at the end. Um so I know you mentioned explosive plays or regression. That's something I want to check out because I haven't heard that before of that being a something that changes year to year. But in like looking at the regression for the Titans, I think if you ask you know, like an average NFL fan, like are do you think the Texans are gonna win less or the Titans are win less games, they would say, Yeah, probably. But they only went nine seven last year. And then, if you look at the regression numbers, there's nothing that really stands out at all. Like they went, they they went three and three in one-score games. You know, there was they they were really healthy throughout their entire roster, but nothing really kind of sticks out at all from last year. But the one thing was that their red zone touchdown rate. So with Ryan Tannehill as the starting quarterback. They scored touchdowns 86.8% of the time in the red zone. They scored 33 touchdowns, kicked two field goals, had three turnovers and the league average last decade was 56.6%. And so they scored touchdowns, you know, 30% times more than you, know, any team did last decade. And usually when you see something like this, you see like uh, a drop back down to maybe 55% and everything else. And like, I know Arthur Smith made some ridiculous, like played design choices last year with Derek Henry, jump passes and, Dennis Kelly catching touchdown passes and John Smith making one one hand catches against the Ravens and all this stuff worked out. But like, you know, typically over the course of a new set of 16 games, you know, 86 percent is unsustainable. So do you think the Titans will have more red zone trips this season to be able to balance out the red zone touchdown rate regression they're going to that's impending right now?
0: Yes, I think that there is no doubt in the world the Titans are less successful in the red zone next year. And red zone touchdown rate, you just mentioned explosive rate carryover from year to year. I'm actually not sure about the numbers on that. But I do know that red zone touchdown rate does not carry over from year to year, Mm -hmm. offensive or defensive. It's pretty random, it seems. And that's because you only have 16 games, right? Now, will they have more? I think that, you know, part of what I mentioned earlier about how I don't think they're going to score as many 60-yard touchdowns means they might actually have more red zone trips and maybe make up for that. It's crazy. You know, Greg Joseph was on the roster for the last four games. He kicked one field goal in that. Time. I mean, he only attempted one field goal. That's how well the Titans were doing. But as bad, I mean, as good as they were in the red zone, the Titans were as historically bad kicking field goals. They were literally, I think this, I have, I'd have to oh, re this kicking up. Against I them? tweeted it. No, their field goal kickers. Uh, okay. They had the, I think they had the second lowest field goal. I think they had the lowest field goal percentage of any team since like the 1982 season or something like gotcha. that, I could double check that. But I definitely tweeted it when it happened. They they made less than 50% of their field goals last year, and they lost multiple games because they missed multiple field goals in a, in the game. The Colts game in week two, the Bills mm-hmm. game in week five, both games that the Titans were had produced better on the field in terms of like yards and drive success and all that, just couldn't make field goals. So if the red zone touchdown rate regresses the field goal conversion rate should improve maybe at least a little bit. I mean, it was like I said, yeah. the worst in any teams had in 30 years. Now, granted their red zone rate was insanely good too. So they will probably kick more field goals in the red zone, which should also help their field goal percentage because part of that field goal percentage was that they didn't attempt any 20 yard and closer mm-hmm. field goals. Cause every time they got to the red zone, they scored um, or they had that crazy play against the Texans where the ball bounced off somebody's chest and got intercepted and returned 50 yards or whatever, or, their three turnovers were all pretty fluky, which is also kind of crazy because it was that one I just mentioned. One of them was the um, Justin. Reed we'll get hit. to Dennis Kelly. Yeah, that Justin. Re- that, that hit Ferkser actually at the yeah. goal line, and I think Merciless snagged, snagged it out of the air. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, so was, uh, was gonna
1: be, he like caught the interception. If, it, if they would yeah. have called it a catch or not, yeah,
0: right. So it didn't even matter if it was a fumble or a catch. Yeah, and uh, then there was one game against the Jaguars where Dennis Kelly had to come in for Taylor Lewan. I think for one play one play and on that one play yannick and gawkway sat strip and (laughs) got the ball we'll talk about dennis kelly later but um yeah yeah, so those were like that those were their turnovers was like i mean i don't know i don't think they'll score as many touchdowns just because teams go three and out way more often than the titans did in the red zone so definitely definitely regression more trips seems likely too, though so hopefully that can be the offset
1: well, Tennessee averaged 31 points a game with Tannehill as a starter. And so I guess to that dropping off to like 26-27, you know, which is still like a fringe top 10 offense, but it's not a top five offense anymore. And I think it's going to up to the you know, pass defense being a little bit better to make up for that. And we'll talk about that here in a second, too. Um, so Derek Henry was franchise tagged. He received his extension. One of the things that was most interesting about Henry last year was not only like, you know, 35% of his carries came against heavy boxes, and he still averaged 5.11 yards attempt and scored 16 touchdowns. And had DVOA 6.7%, which is about like the average, which is about the same DVOA as Philip Rivers' pass attempt last year, which is kind <laughs> of insane. Um, but also with Tannehill as the quarterback, he averaged 5.7 yards an attempt, and then with Mariota as the quarterback, he averaged 3.68 yards an attempt. So over the course of a 16-game season with Tannehill, do you think he's going to have an even better 2020 season after his like? you know, completely absurd season last year.
0: I am actually pretty torn on Derrick Henry. I'm I'm working on an article for broadwaysportsmedia.com that I'm titling Why Derrick Henry May Just Be Scratching the Surface. And one of the reasons, like you said, was his paltry 3.68 yards per attempt with Mariota at quarterback. The first six games of the season were bad for the Titans offense in general. But Derrick Henry at every level of his career has set records. When he was in Florida... He set the state rushing record for, this, for the state of Florida in high school and was one of the best running backs that the state of Florida has ever seen at the high school level. Went to Alabama, had to sit behind some really talented backs who didn't really do that much in the NFL, like Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy, I think. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if that's the exact backs he was with, Mark Ingram, maybe. But um, he didn't really get a chance to be the starter until his last year there, w- during which time he set the uh, single season rushing record in Alabama's school history. Then he gets to the NFL and has to sit behind and kind of share carries with Derek, with DeMarco Murray and then with Dion Lewis for reasons that Titans fans are still asking <laughs> in, in 2018 when Matt LaFleur was offensive coordinator. I'm sure Packers fans are asking that with, in regarding, regards to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and all the running backs they have. Yeah. But, <laughs> anyway. Uh, this so, is an
1: anti-Matt LaFleur podcast too, by the way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> good, good. <laughs> um, wasn't he the QB coach for Matt Schaub's incredible 2000? I don't Nine know. Season or something. I, just, I just didn't <laughs> understand
1: why he got a head coaching job and he was just self ordained as this like offensive genius when the Times had worse offense with him as the head coach than they did with Mike Malarkey as the head coach. And yeah. Mike, you know, like Malarkey had better offense than he had, you know? And so I just thought the whole thing was absurd that if you're in this tree and if you're young and, you know, you communicate well enough, everybody thinks differently about you.
0: That's the thing that drove me crazy about Matt LaFleur is like, I would watch games and be like, Matt LaFleur sucks. What is he doing? Why would he give it to Dion Lewis there? Why is that happening now? Blah, blah, blah. And then he'd watch like a press conference the next week or a little after practice interview or something. And he's like saying the things that you want your coach yeah. to say. Anyone who's ever like studied offensive numbers and theories and all that is like, wow, this guy really gets it. I, I'm I'm reassured again. And it was this weekly cycle of like on Thursday, I'd be like, oh, you know what? I'm back in on Malafora. The and then Sunday would roll
1: <laughs> around and be like, what is this guy doing out here? And then they're at the third yard lines, fourth and one is he Derek Henry's kicking field goals, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a huge Matt LaFleur guy either. And I don't think that the Packers offense, despite having one of the best quarterbacks of the last of this century, mm-hmm. you know, their offense was pretty bad last year and got bailed out by the defense a lot. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, that was pretty crazy. So anyway, he benched Derrick Henry for Dion Lewis in 2018. So Derrick Henry enters 20, he entered 2019 as the lead back, but I mean, coming off an insane end to 2018, but he didn't start well in 2019. So that's the key for Derrick Henry, I think. If he can start well, and for the record, yes, the, these numbers, 3.68 yards per carry with Mariota, 5.75 with Tannehill. Derrick Henry's splits, not by quarterback, but by time of year, are pretty similar for 2018. Uh, I see too. what you're saying.
1: So yeah, like, at the end of 18, he, was, he had like six and a half yards of carry and like a 11% DBA the last four weeks of the season in 18.
0: Yeah, we Titans fans nicknamed December D Henber because that's what they're okay. I like that. (laughs) So I'm not sure if it was the quarterback change or if Henry just gets better as the year goes on, and that's just like a thing that we're gonna have to deal with as Titans fans for his career here. But I think that if Henry can start the season the way he started, the way he finished last year, if he can be the lead back and get 20 touches a game, and the Titans offense continues to take to elevate, I mean there's no reason that he wouldn't continue to get better and set another record at another level of play, just like he's done everywhere he's been throughout his life. He comes in, Mm -hmm. he gets better, he sets records. And the workout videos of him that Bleacher Report has been tweeting out are, like, insane. He's like, looks like he's in the best shape of his life again this year. And so from that standpoint, I'm, like, all in on Derrick Henry. But just from, like, looking at every running back career in the history of the NFL, I mean, running backs don't typically run for 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns and then do better the next year. Because yeah. if that's like going to be their career average, then they need to have some years where they're ahead of that and some years where they're hit under it. So what kind of year that is for Henry this year is, like, if we think that this is around where he's going to hover for his career average, then I would put the, I mean, the smart money would be that he has, like, a 1,200-yard 10-touchdown season just because that's how careers work. You go up and yeah.
1: down. Yeah, and he also had 380 carries last year too. And the only running backs, last, or I guess in the history of the league, who have had you know multiple 300 carry seasons, or or have had 300 carry seasons in general, the only ones who have been able to sustain it are like Lashawn McCoy, which is surprising, but Marshawn Lynch was able to. Adrian Peterson was able to. Um, and there are some other guys who did it once but didn't do it again, like Doug Martin couldn't pull it off again. Kareem Hunt hasn't had a chance to pull it off again. And so he's like in this very rare group of backs who I think can actually do what he did last year, getting despite having 300 rated carries. But it's like, how many years of that can he actually go through as well, too? Um, we had a Twitter question from Asmith again. And he asked, How long before the Titans regret the extension given to Harry, Henry? So are you expecting, like, this Henry thing's going to be great for the next two or three years? Even, I know he's entering his age 28 season. How long are you expecting for him to be able to maintain this workload? So
0: the interesting thing about Henry, and I kind of touched on this as I was describing his career so far, is that at Bama, first two years, he sat a lot. He got a lot of carries. His, his, it wasn't his senior year. It was his junior year. It last year. He got a lot of carries, but his first two years, he sat a lot. Same thing when he got to Tennessee. His first two years, he shared a lot of carries with DeMarco Murray. 2018, he shared carries with Deion Lewis. So while he may have had a pretty heavy workload single season last year, his career workload is actually pretty light. So he may be 28 years old, mm-hmm. but... I don't think he's an average 28 year old running back because when it comes to running backs, I mean, that's a position that usually is worn down by the the time their second contract is is coming around. You know, look at Todd Gurley and all these guys, but those guys were the primary feature back. I mean, Todd Gurley was like the 10th pick in the draft. As soon as he got to LA or St. Louis at the time, he was the guy that they handed Mm -hmm. the ball to every single down. So Henry hasn't had that type of career. So I don't know that he's going to have a big drop off. And, When it comes to regretting this contract, I don't think the Titans will ever regret this contract because he's pretty much locked in for the next two years at a rate that is only a couple million dollars total higher than they would have paid him if they had franchised him two Mm -hmm. years in a row. And then after that second year, they can cut him for six million dollar dead cap and be totally done with him. And it's like that's not a really heavy price to pay for a running back that you just signed to a four year deal. So if for whatever reason, you know, entering his age 30 season, he's not. He's not the same guy anymore. Titans can cut bait. So I don't think they will regret this. I think yeah, that they'll ride Henry into the ground, and when he's not producing anymore, that's when it becomes the NFL is a business, and he's gone. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that about his career as well, too. I mean, like, running backs are kind of used up by the time they hit middle school sometimes, you know? I mean, it's a ninth grade, <laughs> and they're old and creaky already. And I didn't know that Henry, it took him that long to get started. I forgot about, you know, I mean, like, it seems... You know, it seems like 2014 was such a long time ago, or even whenever he put, whenever uh, DeMarco Murray was in Tennessee, like it seems like a whole lifetime since that happened. And so you really? forget about that sort of stuff, but I could, I could definitely see that as well too. And like Henry's also like, he's explosive, but he's not like somebody who relies on speed. He, I think he's a lot more vision that he gets credit for. And he's really nimble too. Like I, I really love how he lifts his leg up to break tackles that, because everybody tries to hit him low and he just lifts his leg up briefly and um, gets out of those too. So going here to the offensive line, and we we answered Adjay Saney's question by talking about Darrington Evans as well. Um, they have the same offensive line this year as next year, except they don't have Jack Conklin anymore. And Tennessee decided not to give him his fifth-year option. Uh, last offseason, he signed the Cleveland Browns this year. So they drafted Isaiah Wilson the first round in the 2020 draft. They have Dennis Kelly here. He's played left tackle. He's played right tackle. He's filled in at a couple different spots. Um, this is from JBC 41 is right tackle going to be an issue with Dennis Kelly all season, or Isaiah Wilson, and also Justin? Do you think? Who do you think's going to win this position battle uh, as whenever Week One happens?
0: So I think that if this had been a normal off without COVID-19, Isaiah Wilson would stand a chance to compete for the spot. Given the off we've had, and the fact that I don't know he if he got saw it this too news. Right? he's on the COVID-19 list which means he either has it or he was in close contact with someone who has it so he may not have it but he probably has it (laughs) um he probably has COVID so that's like at least a week if not two more weeks that he is not going to be with the team so I think his chances of winning the starting job in week one are like 10% right now Mm -hmm. if not lower than that I don't think that the right tackle will necessarily be an issue because of Dennis Kelly. Now, Jack Conklin is an above average right tackle in the league, but I also think that Jack Conklin gets credit for being a little bit better than he really is. Yeah. Um, based on that 2016 season when he was named to the all pro team, um, because
1: he gave up zero sacks according to pro football focus.
0: Right. Which by the way, if a pro football focus sack happens 2.6 seconds after the snap, it's not on the offensive line. (laughs) It's only if it happens in the first two and a half seconds. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, whatever, pro football focus, they have their, <laughs> they have a lot of valuable information, and then they have some stuff that you have to take with a grain of salt. Yeah. But I think that Dennis Kelly is a capable starter who will be about league average, right? He's not going to be—I mean, there were probably 20 teams in the NFL that could have used Dennis Kelly as their starting right tackle last year. So I think the Titans were kind of in a, a spoiled in that sense. I think that the sooner Isaiah Wilson can take the job, though— the better for the team. I mean, you invest a first-round pick in this guy. You obviously mm-hmm. want to get him on the field sooner than later. If the Titans are planning on making a playoff run again this year, which obviously in the building they are, they would, they're hopefully would be at a point going into the end of the season where your offensive line is really starting to gel and come together, like we saw in 2019. So if Isaiah Wilson doesn't start until week 15 or something crazy like that, then he's still going to be getting into the swing of things by when they're trying to make that little playoff run. Mm -hmm. If he's in as a starter by week five, then he's got, you know, 10 weeks or more to kind of get his NFL footing and figure out how to play at this level. So I think there's a chance we see for that exact reason. I think there's a chance we don't see Isaiah Wilson this year. If he really is getting off to a slow start because of COVID and him getting COVID and just COVID existing and not having a regular offseason. then his chances go down, and if the offensive line is playing well, you know, if Dennis Kelly's not making a lot of errors, then the Titans would see no benefit in swapping things out, especially if they're on a roll. Now, if the team's bad this year, if they're if the offense takes a step back and yeah. the defense too, and we're not not what we're expecting, then maybe he gets in a lot sooner. But if the team's playing well, you may not you might not see Isaiah Wilson, you know, which would be pretty interesting, I guess.
1: For yeah. Some pick. Well, and like and he's a project also to begin with too. Like his his video George, I think one of the issues he had where his feet? I mean, he's 350 pounds, and so his feet were a little slow, and he was really susceptible to inside moves. And you know, Tan Hill was the best quarterback in the league without pressure, and I think the Titans did a really great job in general, especially in the red zone of giving him plenty of time to throw and make plays on the run. And um, and so I don't know. I think Kelly would probably be a better pass protecting right tackle than Wilson even right now and then they met Wilson too is he didn't play in the outside zone scheme in Georgia either and he weighs 350 pounds and again like I think he's kind of slow-footed and so I think it's gonna take a little bit of time to get used to playing in Tennessee at the same time and also Kelly and Nate Davis played a little bit with each other last season and so there's already like a chemistry there and they know like how to because f- like in the outside zone so much of it's about placement and fits and uh, by knowing like where this guy is next to you, and when to leave, and when to take off, and how much punch you need to give him to get there, like all that's really important. So because there's some sort of unison with uh, Davis and Kelly already, I think Kelly will start. And I think I mean he's completely like a league average right tackle. You know, like there's nothing uh, really. He's not like he's not great, but he's not bad. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I do think he's so he played left tackle for the first four games mm-hmm. last year. Dennis Kelly did so there will be a bit of an adjustment and I really don't know how much he's played next to Nate Davis he definitely came in and I I know there was a couple games last year where Jack Conklin had to leave mid-game or and Dennis Kelly came in so he's played with him a little bit but I don't know if that will be as much of a factor I guess it's better than I guess what where that really plays a factor to me is that Nate Davis is a second-year guy who's still pretty young and experienced himself, who hasn't seen a whole lot, who didn't even start last year as a starter. So having a veteran like Dennis Kelly, who has actually started 16 games with the Titans since they traded Doriel Green-Beckham for him a few years ago, I mean, he started 16 games, so that's pretty, that's pretty solid. Experience-wise, I think that's where that value really comes, is being able to be next to nate davis as opposed to isaiah wilson who now nate davis is the senior guy of the pair and you yeah. don't want that from your from the right side of your line that would be a pretty big weakness
1: yeah and I, I think nate davis had a good rookie season i think he's underrated if you look at pff scores and all that sort of stuff too um so of, of the times five offensive linemen which one's your favorite
0: <laughs> from uh, from a fan standpoint i gotta go with taylor lewine He's not only the one of the—he's at least a top five, if not better, left tackle in the league. He's also the funniest guy on, on the line, maybe the funniest guy on the team. He's mm-hmm. outspoken talker. He's the guy back when, you know, the Titans weren't sure if Marcus Mariota was their quarterback. Like, the guy that went and filmed a draft video with NFL Network when the draft was in Nashville— You'd expect it to be like the face of the franchise. Yeah, the person who did that for the Titans was Taylor Lewan because he, at the time, was arguably the face of the franchise before mm-hmm. Derrick Henry really established himself. Before you know, they made the switch to Tannehill. So, I gotta go with Taylor Lewan there. His podcast yeah. is great. He brings on all kinds of Titans players and NFL players from around the world, coaches, and just interesting people. So, yeah, gotta go with Lewan.
1: Yeah, I haven't watched the po- his podcast before. I just saw the clip of him crying or whatever. I was like, it's fine if you're gonna cry, but you should just probably not cry on the on the video, you know. Uh, my personal <laughs> my personal favorite is Roger Saffold. Uh, like, I mean, he was so good in Los Angeles, and I was really hoping Houston's gonna sign him. They had talks with them, and then Tennessee. I guess the idea is that they outbid it for Saffold, and I mean, he's such a great uh, outside zone blocker. I especially love him at the second level too. Like, he sends linebackers flying, you know. Like he he I call, I say he dishevels bones is what he does at the second level. <laughs> And so it's really fun seeing some things he do. He does. Um, so with AJ Brown, like like you mentioned earlier, you know last season in practice they're like, we'll try to get you some targets here and there rather than just giving the ball and feeding him. And by the end of the year, he was the Texans' number. I mean the Titans' number one wide receiver. and was carrying that offense. And I found an interesting stat that he's one of three receivers last decade to have less than 55 catches and more than a thousand yards receiving. And that's Deshaun Jackson, and Mike Williams. And you have to go back to 2004 to so Ashley Lalee to find somebody else who pulled that off as well, too. Uh, he averaged 8.9 yards after the catch. He broke, I think, 20 tackles last year, too. So, like, are you expecting any any regression off from A.J. Brown? Because a lot of these statistics were him catching a drag and then running forever. Uh, or do you think <laughs> he's just going to get even better this season?
0: Yeah. Um, so, he, not only was he, you know, one of three receivers, uh, the stat that you said, but he's also the first receiver since they started tracking yards per reception, to have over 1,000 receiving yards and over 20 yards per catch. So the yards per catch, I mean, no possible way he averages 20 yards per catch again. Probably in a season, I mean, he definitely is not going to average that for his career. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's a guy that is going to be worked more into the offense and treated more like the Titans go-to pass catcher as opposed to like, you know, whatever role he kind of, found last year when he started as you know a rookie that they didn't really know what to expect and then he turned into this explosive play machine now i think he's gonna be a guy who racks up yards after catch through his career it's crazy to think that he picked up pretty much nine yards after the catch per catch last year i mean almost Mm -hmm. a first down after the catch so just gave him the ball one yard i didn't think i didn't think of it that way
1: at all i was like (laughs) 8.9 sounds like a lot but to call it a whole first down is absolutely absurd
0: and and he led the league in that category by quite a bit. He also led in next gen stats expected, uh, or sorry, yards after reception over expect over expectation. Similar to how Derek Henry led that in rushing yards, and how Ryan Tannehill led that in completion percentage. Like the Titans are the top three in all those categories. That is insane. That the offense, it's insane to think that the offense could be that good again. I think. Yeah. So we're definitely looking at some regression now. The different. The question to me is, can they make up for that regression with more volume? Because, like you said, all these long plays, all these 55-yard touchdowns, 74-yard touchdowns, and whatever. Like he's gonna probably turn. Those are probably gonna turn into 20-yard catches, right? And then there's 50 more yards of field to run plays on. So I think that that's kind of how that balance mm-hmm. will
1: shake out. That makes sense, and I I don't think he'll. I mean, like yeah, the yards per reception will go down, but I don't think all of a sudden he's gonna have like some sophomore year struggles at all. You know, I think he's going to be even better next year. And, like, he's a full receiver, too. Like, I really like how he is a – I like how he runs his out routes a lot, too. I like how he can find holes in zone coverage really well. And, you know, this may be blasphemous for me to say, but he reminds me a lot of Andre Johnson. You know, they have a similar body style. Um, they're really physical right now in their younger parts of their careers. And uh, and they just – you know, they can, like, physically impose, you know, against you know, uh, smaller cornerbacks. And even, like, having the footwork, like, he, he, like, made Bradley Roby fall, like, in a simple out route last year. And uh, like he does things like you just don't see it that body type, you know.
0: Yeah, and uh, my our our buddy who writes for BroadwaySportsMedia.com has a really great piece up uh, reviewing AJ Brown's rookie year. He has like thirty gifs in that article, so if you want to check that out for more on AJ Brown, I highly recommend it.
1: Yeah, I'll have to leave that read. Whenever, maybe when i in the airport tomorrow, I'll check it out. Um, yeah. So defensively, the big news that happened, you know, this offseason season was that Dean Pease finally retired. Uh, so like, what'd you make of his six? Defensive backs, three guys rushing, sort of, you know, zone coverage, man-match style defense. Did you like it? Was it frustrating at times whenever you see two guys rushing and Patrick Mahomes just standing there, you know, searching forever for nobody to find? Uh, so what do you think of, D- of Dean Pease's career in Tennessee?
0: I thought Dean Pease wa- brought a really, m- like, a needed veteran leadership type of presence for Mike Vrabel as a first-time head coach. Kind of similar to what Wayne Wade Phillips brought to... Sean McVay, when he started yeah, in, that makes in sense. Los Angeles. But I do think that you know after a couple years, I don't necessarily think that he was bad at all. I mean, he, he had a bad rap coming from Baltimore with all these Ravens fans were telling us on musiccitymiracles.com in the comments and stuff like, oh, just wait until you're winning by 10 points with 10 minutes left, and then you're losing with two minutes left because Dean P's fourth quarter defense is terrible. And <laughs> to be honest, I never really saw much of that. It is frustrating when you watch, like, Harold Landry is your only good pass rusher who can win like a one-on-one pass rushing rep and he's like dropping into coverage yeah. every play like that gets frustrating to watch the thing about the rush three style drop six i mean i think mike Grable did this a lot too when he was with houston and he he brought this over and he and dean Pease did this a lot in tennessee over the last couple of years where they like put seven or eight guys at the line and they're all like leaning forward mm-hmm. like they're gonna rush and then only like four guys go and the rest of them drop or something like that they did that a lot and like I said, a lot of times you end up you end up dropping your best pass rushers. Um But you know, Dean Pease brought did stuff in the in the locker room, in the or in the meeting rooms and throughout the week of preparation he famously would come up with these like thirty page like tip sheets on like when a guy's lined up like this, here's what they're likely to do. When you see this, this is what that means. And like these like sheets that he would give to players before the game to help them like you know, n- know what to expect from from the offense and just helping the players be extremely prepared from that standpoint, I think is going to be a loss. And just having someone who is a defensive coordinator. You know, Mike Vrabel is the defensive coordinator now. I mean, he has not officially announced that for what it's worth. Like nobody's officially said that Mike Vrabel is the DC, yeah. but it's kind of assumed that that's what's going to happen. Um, although it's worth noting that Shane Bowen is the guy that keeps coming out for like, whenever Art Smith has a press conference, the corollary to that is Shane Bowen comes out and has a press conference. And Vrabel has said that Bowen is the guy who will be leading the defensive meetings whenever he's like roaming to go Uh, check in on other parts of the team. So I think that he's going to have a big assist in, in the coordinator responsibility from former Texans uh, D line coach, Shane Bowen there. So I think that the combination there, I don't know. I I think the Titans defense is going to be better next year than I don't think the defense was quite as good as they appeared to be last season because yeah. the Titans played with you know they played from from ahead most of the time that Ryan Tannehill was a quarterback outside of like the Panthers game and I don't know I think like for the most part they played from ahead so the defense didn't have a lot to do Derrick Derek Henry was able to just run it down people's throats and and end games
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point and I mean I guess they fell behind that first Texans matchup too after the the Justin Reed hit that you know, end oh, with seven right. points on that like, Kenny Stills touchdown. But yeah, I mean, playing ahead is a lot different. I think it allows you to be you know, less aggressive and you can drop six. I didn't think about Pease. Like, I think over the course of a season, it can be kind of frustrating with his pass rush and everything. But I mean, the game plan he had against Baltimore this past year. It was one of the best game plans I've ever seen. Just like their ability to take away the middle of the field from Lamar Jackson. Like, he's a middle of the field, quick, short passing thrower. And all those routes were gone. And they did such a great job matching those defenses to to stick on all those routes and force him to the sideline. He couldn't hit those plays. And then also, like, that weird game they beat new england in in 2018 where he blitzed really heavy and they they crushed him in that one too like he's had some really great game plans here and there but i think consistently he'd be kind of frustrating but it is kind of fun though to still like as far as the times being kind of you know unique team in the league to still watch a team that rushes to and you know whatever else uh they tend to do but they did have a really good run defense last year which helps you know being up ahead and teams can't really run the ball at all uh, so last year, they haven't had a good pass rush since Brian Arakko and Derek Morgan were here. Last year, they finished 30th in pressure rate. The year before, they finished 28th. They had Vic Beasley uh, this offseason. Nobody knows where he is right now to replace <laughs> the injured Cameron or to replace the old and injured Cameron Wake. And uh, so where do you think their pass rush is going to come from this season?
0: on Clowney.
1: <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about Clowney now?
0: Um, no, I mean, (laughs) so on that note about Vic Beasley, by the time this comes out, hopefully that's like a distant memory, right? And John Robinson, the Titans GM said the other day that they have been in contact and he plans to report soon and he's aware that his absence is unexcused. And it came out that, uh, he was suffering through a death in the family and the funeral was Wednesday, the day after players are supposed to report. So that leads many people to speculate on why he wasn't there. And, um, Hopefully it's not like uh he doesn't love football thing, but we don't really know. We don't know if he communicated with John Robinson. The Titans just didn't wait, just waited a couple of days to tell the media because they were like, oh, the media is going crazy about this. We should put out a statement. Or if they didn't know where he was and he just didn't show up and didn't say anything. Like, that's a big deal. But I think the Titans plan is for Vic Beasley and Harold Landry to be, they're pretty similar players, honestly. They, yeah, they, they both are. win more with speed. So I think that the Titans are hoping that those two guys can force quarterbacks to step up, you know, come around the arc, force quarterbacks to step up right into Jeffrey Simmons. And I think that they're expecting Jeffrey Simmons to take on the main three-tech interior pass-rushing role that Jarrell Casey has manned for nine years in Tennessee. Um, and I think that those three guys might be... I mean, if Jeffrey Simmons takes a step the way a lot of Titans fans are expecting Jeffrey Simmons to, you know, he was playing on coming off that torn ACL last year, and that's always like a, you know, what they say, like a 75 80% season until the following year. So if Jeffrey Simmons was really only at 80% last year, I think that bodes well for his future. And I think that he and, I mean, if Vic Beasley can get in there and get motivated, it depends on what version of Vic Beasley they get. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I mean, I don't want to touch too much on Clowney and spoil what we're going to talk about, but I definitely think that Clowney would be Someone that takes the Titans defense from like good, above average, good to this team should be competing for a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. Well, and and like talking about Beasley too, like, you know, he never really developed as a pass rusher. He's always been like outside shoulder rip, speed and bend, and he's never had any sort of inside move. And I went back and watched some of his video earlier this week, and like he had some inside rushes. He had a few inside moves here and there, but it really wasn't like consistent at all. Um, and like you know, Landry, is kind of similar. I think Landry just a better player than Vic Beasley is too. At the same time, and usually it's kind of the other way around where you get interior pressure that moves the quarterback backwards into the exterior pressure. So these wide lanes have more of an impact, and you know, least you know your offensive tackles have to take deeper sets. And now you have the inside moves open up, and it allows those sort of rushes there too. So I think if like Landry and Beasley have any sort of inside rush, you know, up their sleeve for this year, um, there's a the chance like you know this past. Rush can be instead of like one of the worst in leagues to you slightly below average, but without like any clowny thing, and with the Simmons being you good again this year too. Um, this is a Twitter question from Atchamalisms, and he asked, "Is Harold Landry's ceiling still elite, or have you tempered on him?"
0: I think that personally, I have tempered on him. I think that there's a lot of people I talk to a lot in private message groups and stuff that haven't quite tempered as much as me. I mean, I think most Titans fans have accepted that he's not gonna be the second coming of Von Miller or Khalil Mack or you Mm -hmm. know but I do think he showed improvement again last season and could continue to show improvement throughout his career if you know working with Mike Vrabel I think Mike Vrabel has shown himself to and Shane Bowen both have shown themselves to be some of the best pass rusher developers in the league with what they did with Clowney and Merciless down in Houston so if he I mean the the thing that's so tough is that he's not working on the field with Mike Vrabel this offseason No nobody's like yeah I feel like NFL players aren't getting better this offseason unless they have ways to like train privately with independent coaches and stuff and I don't know how often that I mean I honestly don't know how often that stuff really happens and how much players are it actually helps but, as well too yeah, especially if they're getting different coaching from what their actual team coaches are telling them. Like I, Honestly, I don't know. This is just me speculating completely off-topic, but I think that was a problem with Mariota because Mariota would always go train with this independent trainer guy back in California every offseason. He was not spending his offseasons in Nashville where, like, we heard this about Ryan Tannehill in Miami when he first came to Tennessee that he was a guy who would get the receivers together multiple times a week in the offseason in Miami. Marcus Mariota would get the guys together once out in California. And uh, I mean, I don't you. know. I'm, again, I'm just totally speculating, but there was also this big, like, not fight, but disagreement between Mariota and his trainers and the Titans trainer and coaching staff about how what playing weight he should play at. So are these independent coaches good for these players, or are they, like, feeding stuff in their ear, and then they go talk yeah. to the team, and the team's like, oh, wait, we're not really sure about that. So, again... Is anyone improving this offseason? I don't know. Harold Landry, though, back to what we were talking about. Has he hit his ceiling? I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet. I think he can keep getting better, but I don't think he's going to ever be thought of as, like, a top 10 elite Mm -hmm. pass rusher. Like, I mean, look at TJ Watt, right? Like, we already know what TJ Watt is going to be. He's going to be amazing. Look at Joey Bosa. We already know. Like, these guys that are going to be elite, you usually know pretty quick. And if you don't, it's because of opportunity where they're on the bench, not because they just haven't, like, figured it out yet or whatever. So, I don't know. I'm skeptical that Landry will ever be a true difference maker, but I definitely think he's an above-average pass rusher and underrated as a run defender.
1: Yeah. See, that makes sense. I didn't know that was a segment for Times fans where they were expecting him to be, like, Von Miller or something, you know? Uh, but well, I think when—
0: Sorry, but in the draft, he like was supposed to be a first-round pick, and he yeah. was a guy that the Titans traded up to draft for Sean Evans, and Titans fans were like, oh, my God, they're trading up for Harold Landry. And they didn't pick Harold Landry, and oh, then still gotcha. got him in the second <laughs> round. So it was like this big thing where Titans fans everywhere were like, really big on Landry pre-draft, so they just had this expectation that he's going to be the savior of the pass rush, you know, because the Titans haven't had a guy that can get to the quarterback since Javon Kurse. I mean, yeah. really get to the quarterback.
1: Well, and like you'll have one season of Morgan and pub being pretty good together, but that's yeah. pretty much it. And, like, Casey, you know, Crane stunts and everything else, too. Uh, yeah. But, I, I mean, like, if Landry can develop any sort of inside move, like the flashes on the outside are obscene, and if he can develop any sort of inside move, like, he can be, you're saying, more than just, like, a good pass rusher, because he's a good player right now. He's not, you know, really good, and he's not Pro Bowl, you know, caliber. But if he gets an inside move, I think he can become that. But, yeah, like, some of the flashes that are, like, Yeah, they're really remarkable whenever it all kind of works, you know, in unison really well. Um,
0: move. I think that that, Landry is the type of player to me who will feast on lesser tackles. And then when he gets matched up with a guy who really knows how to block, he's going to get stonewalled. But when it like I think that there's like a not famous, but a pretty popular clip from the I think it was the first time the Titans played the Chiefs where he just like whips. The left oh, that tackle.
1: was yeah, that was Cameron Irving.
0: But yeah, it was yeah. a backup. It's like okay, mm-hmm. that was a great move and a great highlight. But who is the competition? You know, so I think well, that's gonna be this. It's kind of his like, career. like
1: Beasley last year. Like he had nine sacks. I think four of them came against Kyle Allen, and Kyle Allen was sacked. You know, <laughs> that's not at times had sixteen fumbles and. You know everything else, but yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, this was that's like Whitney Mercil's kind of similar in Houston too, where he doesn't beat really good offensive tackles, but he's close enough to the ball, and there's interior pressure. He's able to have these wide looping pass rushes work, and he beats bad offensive tackles and gets his way to eight sacks, and then makes fifteen million dollars. That probably isn't. They could probably be better off going somewhere else. Um, but you know. They did trade Jarrell Casey for a seventh-round pick, and it seemed like a cap dump. It seemed really bizarre at the time because Casey's still a good football player, and it seemed like a move before a move, but another move hasn't happened. And it seemed like it's a move that you make not to sign somebody like Everson Griffin or sign Marcus Golden or you know, sign kind of like these, one of these last remnants in free agency. It seems like the move that you make to sign Jadavion Clowney and so the Titans do have $22 million in cap space right now. They don't face any major free agency decisions at all next year. Like all their guys are locked up for 2021 as well too. Um, so do you think Clowney will sign with Tennessee? If not, uh, where do you think he'll sign?
0: I have been a very strong believer in the idea that Clowney will end up in Tennessee. And I think the further we get into the off season or the, the not the offseason, the actual season, training yeah. Time, the more likely to me it is that he signs with Tennessee. And I think that the cap dump on Jarrell Casey may or may not have been connected to this move. I kind of think that if COVID hadn't struck and shut down the whole world, that Clowney might already be a Titan in March. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, I, granted, I will confess that my source is not anything verifiable or relatable or reliable or anything that I could verify myself or even that I would really trust but I was told by someone who should have known that Clowney had a had a physical scheduled with the Titans back in March. And I even tweeted about it when it happened. And then I looked like an idiot because it didn't happen. But um, but no, I I remember that,
1: that. They would just remember you if you're right, you know.
0: Right. Exactly. They don't remember that I was wrong. Um, Well, some people do. Um, but so I think that, you know, I mean, listen, here's one thing that's really telling to me. The Titans historically or not historically, but over the last few years since John Robinson took over really, when they have he, this isn't the first free agent or possible trading block person or whatever the Titans have been had reported interest in, right? But every single time John Robinson has been asked about a player who's not on the Titans, he gives the same canned coach speak, GM speak answer like, "Well, you know, we're going to worry about the players who are here. We're going to Mike Vrabel says, "I'm going to coach the players who are in this building and not worry about the guys who aren't here." John Robinson says, "My job is to worry about making Mm -hmm. the Titans team the best team that it is. And we'll look at all the options. But when it comes to Clowney, they they are raving about how they think like variables talked about how hard of a worker he is and how much he impacts the defense. And Robinson has confirmed that they've had talks with Clowney's agents and confirmed that they've spoken to him again within the last couple weeks or so since training camp started. And like, it's just very abnormal to me to hear the Titans brass talk about a player who's not on the team as much as they have with Clowney. So because of that, I'm pretty confident that Clowney's gonna be a Titan. Now if, if it's not Tennessee, I think it's Seattle and my reasoning there is the same is exactly the same. I think that
1: And they and they I said like earlier they have, a, they have a window now as well too that they need to go all in on and everything else.
0: Yeah, the Titans do especially I think that if you look at like what the Chiefs did heading into twenty nineteen, right? They uh, made it to the AFC championship, couldn't beat the Patriots and um Then they went in the offseason. They added Frank Clark. They added Tyron Matthew. They, they like, loaded up on the... They I think they signed a cornerback. They loaded up on the defense. They realized that they had a quarterback and a rookie contract, and they spent a lot of money, and they Mm -hmm. went all in, right? Now, the Titans don't have a quarterback and a rookie contract, and neither do the Chiefs anymore. But, well, I guess they do. I guess he's technically on it. Whatever. Um, The Titans haven't really made that all-in move. In fact, they got rid of Jarrell Casey. Now, I was starting to say, I don't necessarily think that those... Moves are not related. Okay. They might be related. But I think that Jerron Robinson is a guy who like assigns a value to every player on his team. And if the player is not producing at the value, then he says, you're not worth it anymore. And he, I guess he didn't try to restructure with Casey because Casey came out and said that he felt disrespected and blindsided by the trade. So I'm guessing there was no attempt to restructure. Um, and if there was, it went through Casey's agent. And Casey's agent was like, hell no. And that was the whole conversation. Oh, gotcha. But I think that that was more about like this guy's getting older. He's getting towards the end of his like really productive years. And this is kind of like a New England Belichickian kind of move where they're like, rather get out a year too early than a year too late. Is he really still worth $10 million this season? That I think that's where the move to trade Casey came from. And did it free up for space for Clowney? Absolutely, it did. And I don't know if that was a plan or if that's just a coincidence. Gotcha. Um, and then, as far as which team I think he signs with, it's either Tennessee or Seattle to me because of where we're at right now, the kind of offseason this has been. You know, Recording this on the last day of July, Clowney's got to get in there and get in the building and learn a defense. Well, it's going to be a lot easier for him to do that if it's with Mike Vrabel, who's yeah. presumably going to be running the defense he ran when Clowney was playing for, for Vrabel. Or he'll go back to Seattle... Where they have the same defense coordinator, same head coach. Um, they lost a few pass rushing pieces, so they could actually really use Clowney's help. The, the Seahawks are strapped for for cap space right now, but they could cut some guys or restructure. I mean, cap, whatever. You know, they'll do what they have to do to. Figure you always it push out. it down the road. Um, yeah, exactly. So if that if it came down to it, I think that, I think that. I mean, I saw a rumor the other day that Clowney could wait till the end of August because last season he held out. All of August, right? He didn't get yeah, back to like was traded, Well, he
1: before. Yeah, and he was traded he was like traded. That Saturday before the season pretty much.
0: Yeah, he had like eight days to work in with the Seahawks, and then he came out and had a huge game against the Bengals in week one. So,
1: hmm.
0: I mean, it wouldn't shock me if we're sitting here mid-August still talking about where Clowney is going to sign. But as lo- the longer he waits, the more I'm convinced it's Tennessee, and I've been pretty convinced it's Tennessee since, you know, very early on.
1: Yeah. And I hope so. Like, I, I mean, he was fun and watching Seattle, but they didn't have anybody else around him and he had four and a half sacks. and It's that, you know, same, like, you know, stupid nonsense, where if you don't have 10 sacks, you're not good at pass rushing when it's like, he's the only force on this pass rush at all. Like the things he does, you can't really calculate, you know, you can't like the box score isn't good at measuring clownies talents. And it's been like this for the you know, last four seasons or so now. Uh, and I, I hope he goes to Tennessee one, because I think the division will be a lot more fun. Like there's no like real Texans, Titans, like great, you know, great classic game at all. And I think like anything that adds some um, you know, fuel to this rivalry that exists because one bad owner, you know, was mad and moved his team and it made a lot of people very <laughs> upset. Like, that's the, that's the entirety of the rivalry. Like, there's no, there's nothing like really substantial at all in it, you know? And so I think by Clowney playing there and then Clowney, you know, you going up against like Larry Tunstall be a lot of fun. And, Going against the Like it'd be a great it'd be a great thing to watch. And you know, what are sports if not more than the enrichment of one's life and entertainment? And I would <laughs> I think it'd be by far the most fun, most most fun spot um, for me to be there. So this was a question from at Times Elite 2018. And they asked that, how well will Clowney fit in with Ray Tyne's defense? So, like, if Clowney was the sign in Tennessee. Do you think he played three, four outside linebacker? Do you think he played defensive end? Do you think they would use him as a stamp blitzer? Would he just be kind of like how he was used in Houston? How do you think he would be used there in Tennessee?
0: I definitely think it's, it would be similar to how he was used in Houston with Merciless and Watt and him being, forming like a, a three man wrecking crew. I think that three man crew in Tennessee would be like, Landry in the merciless role Simmons in the watt role and then obviously Clowney is Clowney now the difference is the Titans also have Vic Beasley but any I mean presumably Vic Beasley and Landry would be the outside linebackers in the 3-4 base defense Mm -hmm. but Clowney's the type of guy who can line up at any position on the defensive line he can play three tech he can play five tech he can line up over the center he's very movable and if anyone knows how to move him and use him better than anyone else, it's Mike Vrabel. And I don't think the Seahawks did a whole lot of that last year, and that's one reason that his production wasn't as high. It's because, I mean, I watched every snap that Clowney took uh, in 2017 when Vrabel was a defensive coordinator for a review piece that I'm only going to write if he signs with Tennessee, but yeah. I'm prepared to do anyway. Um, and it's really in, it, crazy to me how much it it often seems like Clowney had the authority to pick his matchup, or he would like kind of roam around, behind the guys with their hands down, and right before the snap he'd creep up behind one of his teammates and, like, tap him on the shoulder, like, Mm -hmm. as if to say, like, hey, I'm rushing off your right side on this snap or something, and, like, just, like, line up over the weakest guard on the team and just take his lunch money every time and those kinds of things. I think that that's the way Clowney would be used most in Tennessee is this guy who creates matchups and allows you to drop Harold Landry into coverage without taking your best pass rusher out of the pass rush kind of thing so and i mean clowny isn't the guy who drops into coverage very often but he can drop in space well because he can move well and i think where he really his truest value is in the run game and i know like it's not sexy to be good in the run game but a clowny tackle for loss is different than like a, Mm a typical run stuff because that tackle for a loss is four, five, six yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's not like a one-yard gain. Like, second and nine is a lot more manageable than second and 14. And Clowney produces a lot of second and 14s. And I think that that helps your entire pass rush because now the offense is behind, behind the chains. They're probably going to have to throw on third and long. And it also just helps your team, get your defense get off the field because those, I mean, it's like a penalty for the off. I mean, those kinds of setbacks are really hard for a, a team that doesn't have a great offense to overcome that and keep a drive alive. So mm-hmm. Clowney would fit in, in Nashville. He would fit in any defense, right? I mean, he's a versatile piece that can play anywhere. So I'm not worried about a fit. I'm not worried about like having too many outside linebackers or whatever. I think that, you know, if Vic Beasley is tired or Vic Beasley doesn't play on first and second down, cause he's more of a pass rusher then he stick Clowney at the, the set the edge in the run game on early downs, and then bump Clowney inside to three tech and bring Beasley on the field. So, having a rotation, having too many pass rushers is not a it's problem. Never,
1: yeah, it's, it's like having too many quarterbacks You can't have enough. Yeah, there. having yeah, that's too have,
0: few that, pass rushers, that's a problem. Yeah,
1: exactly. You can have too many middle linebackers, you know, but you can't. Yeah. Have, you can't have too many pass rushers. <laughs> you have to be run stopping three techniques who can't get to the quarterback, <laughs> like Houston always tends to have. And um uh, yeah, that yeah, that seventeen season Clowney was fun because Watt, you know, only played five games and was out. And then Deshaun Watson, I heard you had Tom Savage, and that was the the fifteenth season was like the first time like Clowney had a great year, but seventeen was probably his best season in Houston just because he was the entirety of that pass rush and there were some fun games. Like one the player remember most of that season where they played the Chargers and the I think it was like the tight end pulled on split zone and he knocked the tight end in into Melvin Gordon for the tackle. Like He didn't get credit with the tackle, but he sent the the puller into him for the tackle. And you know he just does so many absurd things like that that yeah. like you have to watch the video and really keep your eyes on. Because if you just check the box score, he's never going to be good enough for you. Um, so the tight end's secondary. You wrote a really good piece on Christian Fulton. And they have Kevin Bayard, Kenny Vaccaro, Malcolm Butler, Christian Fulton, um, Adoree Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Ty Smith. Yeah, you know, they have a deep secondary again here. I think they have a really good secondary. So where do you think Fulton fits in the rotation here? And do you think by Fulton being here, his ability to play man coverage and press coverage, do you think that opens the door for the Titans to be able to have a more aggressive defense in 2020?
0: Yeah, I think that, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, having cornerbacks who can man up and play man coverage and not get beat it allows a defense to do so many different things and logan ryan was a great veteran leader for the secondary he was a really good versatile player came up and made a lot of stops in the run game but i mean i we didn't titans fans throughout the season like halfway through the year there was like a logan ryan deserves defensive player of the year candidate like campaign going on on twitter which was like no he doesn't but um <laughs> Because he had a lot of tackles, Stop, a lot of y'all pass breakers. You
1: know?
0: <laughs> he like he had like he filled up the box score, right? Uh, like at the end of the day, I'd rather my cornerback not have a lot of tackles and not because when a cornerback has a lot of tackles, usually that means the receiver's catching the ball in front of them and then they're tackling yeah. them instead of breaking up the pass. Now, with Logan Ryan, that's not always the case because like I said, he was a slot corner. So he was there. I mean, the Titans were able to run their nickel defense almost like a base defense a lot because Ryan can com- could come up and thump in the run game from the nickel spot I don't know if Christian Fulton is that kind of nickel player but I do think that he's going to start in the nickel we actually talked to Fulton on uh, oh, really? for a video piece for our website and I asked him do you expect to play a lot of nickel when you get into the NFL and he said yeah I expect to play there a good bit I've been working on my nickel technique keeping my eyes right making sure I'm, I'm reading combinations differently, knowing I don't have the boundary. It's like, well, he must be preparing pretty hard to play nickel then because he talked through some of the different techniques he's going to have to get better at and stuff when it comes to playing nickel. So I actually think that Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler are going to be the primary outside guys. I think that in Titans' base defense, those are the two cornerbacks that are going to be on the field every time. I mean, last year, Adoree Jackson only played 11 games. Malcolm Butler only played in, I think he got hurt in week nine. Mm-hmm. And once those two guys got hurt and it was, like you said, Tremaine Brock, I don't know if you said this yet, but Tremaine Brock out he there. He played pretty well last um, year, though. Brock was he
1: played, okay. he, played,
0: he played OK. He uh, played OK. LaShawn Sims played OK. He's gone now. Ty Smith um, broke his hand and didn't play a lot, but he played well when he did play. He forced a big fumble in the Raiders game that Jayon mm-hmm. Brown picked up in return for a touchdown, and he blocked a field goal against the or he, he picked up a blocked field goal against the Colts and returned that for a touchdown that was a huge play. So, I mean, he's a pretty good cornerback five, I guess, when you look at jo- Joseph as cornerback Q- four. But I think that Malcolm Butler and Doris Jackson's absence was felt more strongly than I think any anyone really gave the Titans defense credit for. I mean, it wasn't talked about nationally at all, and it wasn't really talked about that much even in Nashville when it comes to like covering the Titans defense but when Adore Jackson came back for the playoffs, that's when it was like really apparent just how much they missed him. And Malcolm yeah. Butler was still out. Malcolm Butler was gone since week nine. So when Adore came back, and I mean, I think since he returned, he had as many passes completed on him as he had breakups with for only like a 30-something percent completion rate. Um, so Adore was locked down, shut down when, when he came back last year. So I, I think Adore has the movement skills, the quickness, Um, to play in the nickel, but I think they'll probably start Fulton there just mostly from like a, you only have to learn one position in our defense to get you on the field kind of thing more than anything. Eventually they're probably moved to this really versatile thing where they kind of just match up and follow guys around. I think Malcolm Butler is a great candidate to guard the physical Deandre Hopkins, Julio Jones of the world. Adoree Jackson is a great candidate to guard the really quick Will Fullers, T.Y. Hiltons of the world. And Christian Fulton is a pretty great blend of both. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't shock me if this time next year we're talking about Christian Fulton as the best cornerback in the secondary. I mean, that could happen quicker than we think. But to start the year, because, again, big COVID affected offseason and everything, I I'm, I'm wouldn't be surprised if they went out and got Jonathan Joseph, who they signed really late in the free agency process, because they knew they were going to need some help early in the season getting their rookie up to speed. So they went and got a guy who knows Vrabel's defense, who can play in the nickel or play outside depending on what he needs to do. So I think that there's a chance Joseph starts the year as the third cornerback and Fulton just kind of rotates in. But once Fulton gets up to speed, once he's, you know, got his NFL legs under him, I think the Titans secondary is going to be a lot better than people give it credit for. You mentioned Kevin Byard who somehow didn't make the NFL top 100, which we already know is a joke, but it just is absolutely ridiculous. He's at least a top three safety in the league, if mm-hmm. not better. And that's not Titans bias. That's I mean, that, he's probably the best player on the defense when it comes to league wide. So I think the secondary and I even mentioned Kenny Vaccaro, who's also super underrated and has been way better in Tennessee than he ever was in New Orleans, because New Orleans used him as a slot cornerback instead of a box safety like the Titans have, who mm-hmm. can also play deep and, and man the middle of the field, which allows him and Kevin Bayard to be pretty interchangeable. So I think all five of those pieces, I mean, none of those five guys stand out as a weakness to me. The only one would be Fulton because he's a rookie. But if he plays like he did at LSU, then this secondary is going to catch people off guard, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you take that and you add Clowney to it, you know, they were, they had a below average pass defense last year by DVOA. And then they finished, you know, 18th or whatever. But this could be a top 10 pass defense. I think if they had Clowney, um you know I read your Fulton article it was really great and I watched you know, video on him and like I just haven't seen a, a college corner be able to play press coverage as well as he does and I have no idea why he fails the second round it doesn't make any sense whatsoever and you know going, like I've been watching you know college cornerbacks for probably about like you know three years or so now and uh and, like Greenville Williams is probably my favorite one I had the chance to watch and he fell in the second round because he's small and that sort of thing but Fulton was you know far and away better than he was and Ah, uh, you just don't see college corners who can play press like he can.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you don't even see college corners play press that often. Like one of the hardest yeah. things about evaluating receivers coming out of college is that they never have to face press coverage. Mm-hmm. So, and let, we t- talked about this when we started talking about the cornerbacks. But like a team that can defend man up, it allows your it opens up your defense so much. But I actually think Fulton is really great in zone too. You can really read route combinations well. And my my podcast co-host, Justin Mello, talked to Coach Corey Raymond, the LSU cornerbacks coach, who Christian Fulton told us that he told us specifically that Corey Raymond is the reason he chose to go to LSU because he wanted to learn how to be a press man corner because coming out of high school, he was really comfortable in zone and reading route combinations and reading receivers releases to try to figure out where they were going to go reading quarterbacks, their drops and where their eyes are to, to try to read and and learn what the route combination is going to be. I'm really impressed with his ability to quickly diagnose what's happening in front of him. I think it's unmatched, honestly, in in a cornerback that I've evaluated. And Corey Raymond said that he told my co-host, Justin Miller, that he is the best off-ball cornerback he's ever coached. And that really jumps out to me on film. And The, the thing is that LSU played Man coverage on like 90% of their snaps last year. But the year before, they played a lot more zone, and you can really see Fulton's ability to like drop back in like a cover three drop off the line of scrimmage and then break for read like an in breaking post route or something before the receivers even made the cut and cut it off and intercept the pass. And, And he had this play against Georgia that was honestly the most impressive interception I think I've ever seen. The fact that he not only got in front of the receiver before the ball got there, but was able to catch it and, like, scoop it off the turf is just insane. So, I mean, I have no idea why he fell. I don't think he's a great tackler. I think he...
1: he Nobody I can tackle, though. Like, I know. College what, current, none of them can tackle.
0: And you don't need your... I mean, Adoree Jackson is a great tackler. Malcolm Butler yeah. is a pretty good tackler. But really, at the end of the day, if if you're... if Like, Logan Ryan is an incredible tackler. But if your best trait as a cornerback is being a tackler... And not being a cover guy. Like when I go back and watch highlights of, well, I guess lowlights of teams scoring on the Titans. Or when they play those freaking plays from the Chiefs games that they play yeah. on NFL Network all the time. Or, or I mean, most teams, most times I see highlights against of somebody scoring on the Titans defense. It's coming against Logan Ryan's coverage. So I honestly think Fulton is going to be an upgrade. Uh, and I have no idea why he slid so far in the draft. It right. makes no I sense to me. Such- could have been the weed thing. I mean, he got suspended for a positive, or not a positive test he took this is hilarious to me he had to take a uh, drug test which was only testing for peds and he had smoked marijuana like a week before this test and he went in to take his test and he didn't know that they were only testing for peds yeah so he got somebody to he like tried to tamper with his sample and they like caught him in the act of like trying to replace his sample with somebody else's and he didn't end up replacing his sample so they actually tested his urine sample and he was totally clean He didn't have any PEDs in his system, but because he tried to tamper with it, the NCAA hit him with a two-year suspension, and he got that reduced to one year with an appeal, but um, I don't know. I mean, that's really the only reason I could possibly think of for why he would have slipped so far in the draft. He really reminds me a lot of Tredavious White, who came Mm -hmm. out of LSU a few years ago, who was a really great man-cover corner who fell to the end of the first round for some reason, and the Bills got a steal. And now yeah. he's, like, one of the best corners in the game. I think Fulton could be on a similar career path.
1: Yeah, because I watched TJ Henderson for the Jaguars preview, and I was like, Henderson's pretty good, you know. I guess he just, and, like, he had, I, I guess the biggest difference is the athletic profile. Like, Henderson is a better athletic profile, but Henderson's a much better player. I mean, uh... Fulton's a much better player than Henderson is, though. And so I was watching these two guys, you know, last week, and I was like, I have no idea why Jacksonville decided to take Henderson instead of Fulton. And I would rather have Fulton at 9 than have Henderson at 9. And, you know, Fulton ends up going in the second round. And it sounds like you kind of like that Rashawn, Mel- you know, Rashawn Evans-Harold uh, Landry situation where everybody wants this guy in the first round and you know, hmm. the game him the second round. And I think Evans is a better player than Landry is right now, but it sounds kind of similar, too.
0: Um, it was so totally similar, especially because Titans fans— I mean, we wanted the sexy position. Nobody Mm -hmm. wanted to draft an offensive tackle who was likely not going to start the season in the first round. And so like, Titans fans were pretty upset after the first round of the draft. But then when they got Fulton in the second round, it was like, oh, okay, well, a lot of Titans fans were like, I'll just pretend we used our first-round pick on Fulton and our second-round pick on Isaiah Wilson, and then I'll be fine.
1: So Yeah, (laughs) I think Houston fans come with the same thing, too, because they drafted Blacklock in the second round and then drafted Greenard in the third round. And you're like, I think Greenard... It's kind of a more interesting player to play right with than Blacklock is, and yeah, you know, I don't know. I like, felt like the Greener pick was better the third round, even though it's not. He's not. He probably be as good as Blacklock is, but because it seems like they got a better player at that position. But whatever. Um. So I have four quick questions for you, and we'll end tonight's show. The first one is: Will Tannehill be a top ten quarterback in 2020? Yes. All right. <laughs> will Will, Dar- will Derek Henry break 1,500 rushing yards again this year?
0: Ah. Uh... I mean, the biased fan in me says, yeah, he's running for 2000 this year. He's going to be great uh-huh. from the first week. And if he had done that last year, he would have easily cleared 2000 But the realistic football analyst in me says, nah, he's not going to break 1500
1: <laughs> <laughs> Will Tennessee have an above-average pass defense this year?
0: Yes. The Titans will have one of the best pass defenses in the NFL, and nobody will see it coming except for me.
1: And how many games will they win?
0: All right, this is an interesting question to me because you, you mentioned at the very top that AFC South seems built for everyone to go 9-7 and seven except the Jaguars. Um, or I don't know, do you think the Jags are going to do well this year?
1: I did not know. I picked them to win five games. So yeah, I don't think okay. they're going to be like, you know, pawn feeders. And the I spoke to Ryan Day Big Cat Country earlier this week. Okay. and Yeah, he said one of the things about the Jags that are interesting. It's like, because they're such a young team, it's like, well, if they play bad, who are they going to bench, you know? They have nobody to bench. It's not like, oh yeah, we're gonna bench this old offensive guard for this young guy. Like everybody there is young, you know. So, and I think Minshew's good enough to at least be a Ryan Fitzpatrick caliber quarterback. So I think enough talent to win five games or so. And they, their schedule is pretty easy too.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. So the other three teams, though, built to be nine and seven. Yeah, um, the Titans have been nine and seven four years in a row, and obviously three of those years Marcus Mariota was a starting quarterback for the whole. For the whole season except for the games he missed with injury and you know Titans fans were really big on Mariota I mean he's a great guy great teammate exciting player when he's playing well he didn't play great for 2017-2018 after his injury and in, in the end of the 2016 season but he had those great stats that were like fourth quarter comebacks mm-hmm. game-winning drives all the like
1: through touchdown pass Allen himself fans. and then touchdown to self the set I mean, touchdown.
0: He had the uh the luckiest play in the history of the postseason. It should have been an interception, and he ended up scoring a touchdown on it. So that just and, and Titans fans are like, Look how good our quarterback is. He can score touchdowns by throwing them to himself. It's like <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, nine out of ninety nine out of a hundred times that play is gonna be picked off. So yeah, I mean it's all the same stats that Josh Allen fans use to cite Josh Allen as a good quarterback. It's like when you have to go that deep to find your stats about how good a player is, like maybe they're not that good. Yeah. Um, because you can pick out cherry pick stats for anyone to look good. And that's what Titans fans did with Marcus Mariota for three years. And they still were able to go nine and seven, three years in a row. And then Mariota starts the year two and four. Tannehill comes in, and Tannehill went seven and three. And we mentioned it earlier, he was barely even losing in those over the course of those 10 games, he had a great comeback win against the chiefs and then the Texans game. They lost the saints game. They lost and the buck or the Panthers game was just a total. Yeah. They just didn't show. run the ball in the whole right first half. Yeah. They it didn't had make any sense. Like, a, like
1: you're going into some of the worst run defenses and now you don't want to run the ball.
0: Yeah. And, and they, I mean, they had like, there was one drive where I think Taylor Lewan had like three penalties in a row, to, like put him in like 30, yeah. 40 or something ridiculous. And just like one of the worst games they played. So Seven and three with Tannehill as a starter, and they were pretty dang good for most of that time. They played a lot of playoff teams. Obviously, they did great in the playoffs, being the Ravens and the Patriots. So I think they're a 10-win team. I think that if this team was able to go 9-7 last year after the start they had, if they this I mean, most of the core from 2017, 2018 is still intact. I mean, 2017, not so much. 2016, most of those guys are gone. But the same, like the guys that were there, like they have this nine and seven mentality like they know how to not be a terrible team so Mm -hmm. i think the floor for the titans this year is like if everything goes terrible and it's like a super bowl hangover type of season even though they didn't go to the super bowl then they might end up eight and eight right but if i had to guess i mean they're i think their vegas has their win total is like eight and a half wins and that is something i'm hammering the over on because the titans have cleared eight and a half wins again four seasons in a row and if they sign Clowney, if the offense doesn't take a step back, then they should be presumably a better team in 2020 than they were last year. So I think that they should win 10 games. And if they don't win 10 games, then like somebody important got hurt or they were really bad in one score games or like, it was just not mm-hmm. a good year for like those stats that you can't really control. They score, they have know, a red
1: zone touchdown rate at 30% instead of 86%. Rather than like being the, like 55% it goes down to 30. The, right um no one team i saw with anything close to what tennessee did was the chiefs and this is what happened to them like in oh, like i don't know it was like 2012 or something like that was that they from, like those 18 touchdown know. season or whatever yeah they went from like 81 <laughs> percent to 30 percent a year and they won like six games less and i can't see that happening in tennessee but they're like I every think single that was edit when
0: alex smith was a quarterback yeah he was, was the quarterback he had there that that year. insane. And after that season, he didn't throw a touchdown to a wide receiver for like three years That's or something. Exact.
1: Yeah, he had that whole year where he didn't throw a touchdown to a wide receiver. That was fun. Like, yeah. great times. Uh, but, like, every team, like every team in this division, I think you can find really bad things happening where it can end up this way. And I, I just, I don't know, I think every team faces so many questions. So I think they're all kind of like, built to be slightly above average and i think the best thing to happen to the entire division was the addition of the seventh playoff team too um so we'll end this with the last question from at rob on broadway and he asked who's the best team in the afc south and why is it the titans
0: (laughs) i think that the texans losing deandre hopkins is going to hurt them more than people realize they
1: they didn't want to lose him they they didn't lose him they purposely (laughs) traded him
0: I think the Texans intentionally deciding that they'd rather have David Johnson at his salary than DeAndre Hopkins at whatever he was asking for is crazy um, and is going to hurt them. How many Johnsons? Isn't it crazy that David Johnson and Duke Johnson were like dueling RBs when they're coming out of the draft? Like, which one of these guys is going to be a better receiving bag? Both of these guys are great receivers and like people thought over who was better and now they're both. On the I feel like Duke Johnson is so forgotten. Like, what are the Texans doing? They need to use Duke Johnson they need anyway. To ball more. It's just they like they late until they're, they're <laughs> at the
1: twenty-seven yard line and they give game against Calvin. Noy. you know that's how they kind of use him every time.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then um, then they lose a couple interior defensive linemen that were like kind of role players, but actually pretty good when you. Yeah, they look lost at what Reader.
1: Reader was they lost Reader and Gibson, who were two of their best defensive players last year, and Gibson got hurt in the Tennessee game that didn't matter. And reader, they didn't want to pay, and uh, and so they drafted Blacklock. And I don't know, like Houston's. The thing about Houston's, like, they got worse this offseason. There's nothing questioning that, but they still have Deshaun Watson, you know. Yeah. And like he's a fringe top five quarterback, and usually that's all that matters, and that's all that mattered last year, you know.
0: Yeah, and and I think Deshaun Watson hero ball is going to be the Texans' like way to win, and just letting him run around. The thing is, like, he likes to just like run around and find Hopkins, right? But he also has a pretty great connection with Will Fuller, just chuck chucking it up down the mm-hmm. field. And we'll see if Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, if all three of those guys can stay healthy. Like, that's a pretty foreboding yeah. deep, deep passing attack. But I think the Texans are the second-best team in the division. I think the Titans are the best team in the division. I mean, look at, looking at what they did last year, once Tannehill took over, how good the offense was, the way that they beat up on good teams in the playoffs, I think the Titans should be the returning favorite. And if it's not the Titans, I think it should be the Texans who— won the division last year have proven that despite how bad Bill O'Brien's offseason management is, they are always competing for the division and usually winning it. So, the Colts are mind-boggling to me why the national media has picked up and run with the Colts as the AFC South favorite. It makes n- I think the Colts are going to be a competitive team for sure, don't get me wrong, yeah. but like the Philip Rivers does not move the needle that much for me in 2020. In 2010? Sure. Philip Rivers would have been a great addition, but Philip Rivers' best trait, I feel like, throughout his whole career is his ability to get the ball out quick, throw with insane anticipation, like yeah, neutralize a pass is rush.
1: Ridiculous.
0: But last season, I watched every throw Philip Rivers made last season. I was appalled. Maybe he didn't trust his receivers very well, <laughs> which isn't going to change going to Indianapolis, where he doesn't know any of the receivers and where he doesn't have an offseason to work with them. But he was not throwing—I mean, he was so late on so many throws that I was just like, is this Philip Rivers? Like, what is going on? And people are like, well, it's because his offensive line has been terrible and he's having to make up for it. I was like, that means you should throw it sooner, not hold it more. Like, get rid of the ball if your offensive line isn't good and throw it to the spot that your receiver is supposed to be. And if they aren't there, maybe that was a problem. Maybe he didn't trust the receivers. But I think Philip Rivers is, at the point of his career—I mean, he's currently the league leader in NFL history for as long as they've been tracking— the pro football reference passes or something in game losing interceptions. Yeah. So interceptions in the last five minutes of a one score game. He's leads the league in NFL history. Um, <laughs> so like, are the Colts going to be more competitive than they were with Jacoby Brissett? Probably. Are they going to run the ball a lot and not ask Phil Rivers to do a whole lot and let him work off play action and stuff? Probably. I mean, he had his best year of his last, at least of the decade when Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator in in San, back in San Diego. So, you know, maybe maybe that will work out. But, you know, they haven't been together in years. They've probably both learned and grown and understand different things since then. Phil Rivers not having an off season to work out with his team. I mean as the quarterback, that seems like a pretty crucial mm-hmm. role to that you'd want to be in there working out with your team. I think that this offseason more than ever, consistency and continuity matters. The Titans bring back their head coach, their offensive coordinator, their quarterback, and their running back and their top receiving options. Texans bring back their head coach, their offensive coordinator, sort of, I guess. It's, just, I mean, it's, Bill, just, O'Brien's. it's
1: Bill O'Brien's third nipple as their offensive coordinator. This yeah. Year. <laughs>
0: Actually, you know what's crazy? I have to confirm this by double checking. Is that Dennis Kelly's brother?
1: I have no idea.
0: Tim Kelly, is that his name?
1: Yeah, he was just he was just uh, his graduate assistant at Penn State, and he's kind of taken him along everywhere he's gone since then.
0: I, th- I thought I read this somewhere. Maybe it was somebody just making a joke because they're both named Kelly. But wouldn't that be something if Dennis Kelly's brother was the offensive coordinator for the Texans? Um, anyway, so I think that, you know, the Texans bring back quarterback, offensive coordinator. I mean, he was, he's was he been... Tim Kelly's been in Houston, even if he wasn't yeah. the official offensive coordinator. And Bill O'Brien. And even though they're not bringing back Hopkins, they're bringing back, uh, obviously, Will Fuller. Hopefully he can stay healthy. And Kenny Stills. And I think that that... like I'm putting my eggs into those baskets before i'm trusting philip rivers to continue to what bounce back i mean at this age players don't bounce back they just drop Mm -hmm. off it's the it's the end so whatever i mean i don't think their defense is great they had a deforest buckner but i don't think it's great i mean justin houston's another year older how effective can he be going forward i'm out on the colts i think the colts are like an eight win team i think rivers is going to be like a 25 touchdown 20 interception kind of quarterback so yeah I, think team I, is
1: it I I haven't, I, yeah, I haven't watched all the snaps. So I'm, I'm going to, I guess, whenever, in two weeks or so. And like I mean, just like you know, Scott and Tevi are so bad, and like Dan Feeney was their best offensive lineman. And so playing behind the best offensive line in of the league, you know, from this perspective, yeah, you know, where I haven't watched the film like you have, like it seems like this is a good spot for them. Uh, I love DeForest Buckner, and so like having that tier rush that creates, and they have like some kind of sneaky good pass rushers too. Some guys they took in like the third and fourth rounds that. And we're That's producing right. and it, yeah, like yeah, it's hard. It, like, I can't remember those guys' names. I always go back and learn them every year, but they always get mm-hmm. injured and you know they haven't yeah. really broken out too. And I like their secondary as well, so I don't know. I just feel like they're all all they all have their questions. I have the tie at nine and seven. I think whenever I, I you know get all these done, I'll just pick her by nine and seven and then go back and pick the division winner from there. But I have Tennessee for nine and seven this year too, and I see there's a lot of questions. Uh, have they draft. Have they sign Clowney i pick them to probably go, you know, 10-6, 11-5, win the division. But without Clay, I think there's a lot of questions here. And um, and I just think all these teams have so many questions, you know, at the moment. And just 9-7 seems fitting for Tennessee for another year, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a fair—that's a good bet. History, the last four years, I'll tell you that's a pretty good bet.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's our show for tonight. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Justin. And then make sure to check out your website if you want to give all the details and how to learn more about the Tennessee Titans and all the w- great work that you guys do.
0: Yeah, check out broadwaysportsmedia.com, please, and thank you.
1: <laughs> all right, yeah, check it out. Subscribe to it if you have a couple extra bucks and that coffee jar you have, and uh, and check that out, too. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. And thank you, for, thank you for being on tonight, Justin.
0: Yeah, appreciate appreciate the invite. This was fun. It was long, but... I was going to tag football.